Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most Canadian work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Void 7.6. What a chapter. Yeah, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. Um, Let's dive into it. We'll get to the bits. (laughs) We'll get to some parts that I think we're going to have a fair amount to say about. Um, Yes. But to start, we kind of pick up right where the chapter left off last time in 7.5, where Conquest has arrived and he is preparing to finish this contest once and for all. Yeah. uh, Operation Worst Plan Yet. Uh, which is saying something. <laughs> yeah, I like that you put yet in there. <laughs> uh, it's going about as well as you'd expect, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, to pull out one line, which I think really sums up a lot of, of, of what I felt was great about this chapter, where Conquest says, I do believe this will end here, Conquest said. His voice, inhuman as it was, carried. And Blake's response is, I'm hoping it won't. <laughs> which is very... Um, you know, I I use the word pathetic here, and maybe my feelings on that have dulled a bit, and that's a bit too harsh. But I I think it's appropriate, right? Like Blake is really struggling to like assert himself against even just the idea that he's not immediately going to lose right now, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree. Uh, Blake, everything about Blake's reply seems like intentionally feeble. Yeah, uh, in comparison to conquests, like not not just conquests words. Um, but like, you know, the description around how they carry and yeah. then like Blake just sort of yells and it, and he, he talks about how he had to raise his voice to yeah. overcome just like the wind. Like it, 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 they're, they're very, they're very much contrasted. These two sentences, yeah. uh, everything about conquests is, is powerful and everything about Blake's is just like weak and inconclusive. Yeah. And, and Blake isn't even saying I'm going to win. He's saying, I hope it doesn't end yet, <laughs> which is like, yeah. it's, he can't even, he can't even think that he's gonna win like it's so yeah it really is like fighting against a primal force i guess um (laughs) so uh yeah the standoff kind of continues where blake has duncan as a hostage and you know laird is isn't really able to make a move but obviously blake and co are quite clearly outgunned and they also can't do anything because it will just lose them any advantage they've gained yeah and so there's a lot of talk here about how they needed to get laird first yeah um, which, which makes me think there was a bit more of a plan here. And for some reason, like Blake just hasn't ever thought about it so that we would know. Um, mm. but I, I guess there was a bit more of a plan that we're aware of because Rose and Maggie both sort of react to the idea that they can't get led as if that was a very important step in some sort of plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right that this plan doesn't seem to be going super well. Uh, so whatever the plan yeah. was, it, it doesn't seem to be panning out that much right at this point. Or further on. Yeah, uh, true. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, yeah. So I think the thing I like about this chapter is we kind of touched on before how it feels like that you're fighting against a, a you know, a, a primal force, but you also get this vibe of like all of their, any advantages they have are just slowly being drained, you know? Their inaction, mm. their forced inaction here is just kind of slowly, they're just slowly losing and they can't, they can't do anything but kind of slowly lose. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're stuck in this house and like they're just slowly, you know, getting covered in snow, like literally yeah. and metaphorically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's grim. Um, yeah. So, so uh, Blake and Laird kind of start negotiating 
kind of, but it's fairly <laughs> obvious. <laughs> you know, like Blake kind of makes a play at trying to negotiate and Laird is playing his hypothetical hostage negotiator or whatever. Um, but it becomes very obvious quite quickly that they, they don't really have a deal that they can make here. There's no ground to give because Laird's not going to do anything against Conquest. Um, Laird has already made his deals and they're win-win deals for everybody involved except Blake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- Packed TLDR. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this whole bit is sort of shaped around, like, Blake has one chip left, which is that he wants to try and corner Laird into having to choose between his family and Conquest, uh, and it just, Laird outmaneuvers it uh, kind of easily, so it's just never, Blake's never able to take advantage of it, and it was kind of the only thing he had. Yeah, he, Laird's not going to choose his, between his family and Conquest, because... You know, Laird's kind of making the point that, hey, I'm, I, I don't want to choose between those two because actually choosing my family and choosing Conquest are both the right decision. Like, choosing both of them is what I'm actually doing here. It's just yeah. that I'm not choosing you, Blake, because, you know, <laughs> you're, you're the diabolist. You're the one that is causing, even if it's, you know, not intentional, you're the one that's causing a lot of these problems. Um, And I got to say... I hate Laird, but he's kind of making some good points here, right? Yeah, I mean, this is some of the stuff I've been saying for a while, which I, I guess I think along the same lines <laughs> as Laird. Like, i got to oh, reevaluate no. some yeah. stuff. That's, um, a, that's a wake-up call. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, like, I think for me, this, this chapter is really summarized by Blake kind of finally snapping yeah. uh, a, a bit. And, and we'll, talk, we'll talk about that a lot more later. Uh, but yeah. like, this oh, whole- yeah, totally. This whole segment is just piling more and more on on like the shit heap of a bad situation that that Blake and Co find themselves in right now. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's pretty hopeless. Um, there's not there there's no wins to be found here. It seems like, um, and I think this chapter really carries up that vibe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, I think the first half really sells us on that, and then. The second half starts to deliver on it by Blake getting more and more compromised. But again, again, we'll, we'll hit those as they come up. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, though, is is so Laird attacks Blake's uh, sort of relationship with his friends, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And as Rose is trying to cheer him up, she's sort of, one of the things she says is, he's not getting to you, is he? This garbage isn't hitting the mark. <laughs> and I mean, like, I guess she's trying to cheer him up or something, but like, I don't know what Laird was saying. Like even Blake agrees, is kind of it is on the mark. Oh yeah, and, um, it's totally getting to him. And like I can't tell whether I want to read this as Rose just trying to cheer Blake up, so she's you know she's just trying to like uh, exaggerate or you know just sort of hide the truth a bit and just be like ah oh, you know oh that garbage, uh, or whether she genuinely believes that like it's garbage, which. Is like very poor from her. Yeah, the thing I like about this as well is I don't think that Laird is actually using his time magic to see into the future here, but he's so on point with some of the things that he's saying to Blake that Blake thinks he's looking into the future to know exactly <laughs> what to say, which I think yeah. is a, like a perfect summation of just how good Laird is at this exact kind of thing. Yeah, potentially. Um, I think you know, the, the only other thing I want to pull out from here is... Uh, Rose also says to Blake that he can't just get fucking down in the dumps because they're attacking his character and Evan isn't around to stand up for him. <laughs> Which so is like, harsh. I, I, again, it's it's really harsh. And I, yeah. like, I, again, I can't decide if it's just tough love or 
her squeezing in some venting about how much Evan annoys her, which uh, it's probably both. But yeah. uh, yeah, like it's just. But all of this like pep talk from Rose more than like pepping bike up it just made me think jesus christ rose like what are you calm yeah, down she's, she's going a bit all out <laughs> on, on this but you know it's obviously quite a tense situation i suppose yeah, yeah. um yeah so so it's maggie rose and blake here trying to figure out what to do and they're, they're kind of inventorying in, inventorying their options and and they realize they basically don't have anything um <laughs> they have the hyena and they have pose and so they just kind of release the hyena to just to make some trouble just to buy some time basically it doesn't have yeah. a yeah they really just sort of throw it out and they're like hope this works yeah um, hope this does something i i do want to call out how rose decorates sending it out with uh referring to i i think either her or blake i can't really tell maybe both but as the seventh youngest thorburn and um you know yeah. just it's just a nice bit of theatrics um sh- she is really good at, at finding that decoration to put on stuff isn't she uh, yeah anytime you can find a three a seven or a nine and work that in there you're in a good shape i think yeah well i wonder if like as things like terry pratchett books take off whether like the number eight becomes more significant in interesting impact. Mm, we'll see i suppose <laughs> uh no comment on that one i don't think <laughs> um yeah so basically they're out of options i mean we we've already said that a few times we're going to probably have to say it a few more times they're out of options yeah yeah i think i think we'll be very familiar with that phrase uh, phrase by the end of the book yes um so i I think what's interesting here is as blake is kind of getting more and more desperate he's really letting slip how much he doesn't trust maggie he basically (laughs) actively calls her out on how he thinks she is not fully her and she's like oh surprised but she doesn't deny it tinfoil hat alert yes uh we'll get onto that we'll get into that more uh Mm. a bit later okay interesting um so yeah uh this this mexican standoff has gone on for long enough and laird and conquest more laird than conquest at this point start making their moves um laird starts playing some like ticking sound effects basically (laughs) which uh kind of ramp up over time and start slowing down time uh except some of the Bahames have the ability to not be affected by this, which gives Duncan the ability to kind of move his hands quickly and grab the gun from Maggie to kind of take control of this situation. Yeah, like, this is such a cool Bahame power to use now that we know the twist, because, like, now Blake can very easily figure out, like, time isn't slowed, it's just sort of the perceptions of time and their yep. bodies. And so he's got all these cool workarounds, like how he throws the hatchet, but he doesn't, he doesn't sort of, you know, draw his arm back to, to throw it. He just sort of has to chuck it because he knows his body will slow down, but the hatchet will still be fast once it's out of his grip. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's a it's a really cool power to use now to demonstrate the, the learnings Blake's just made. Yeah, although the flip side of that is he throws the hatchet, but he's moving slower, and so his, his throw is just a slower throw. Yeah, it's not it's not a great throw. Um, <laughs> I mean, he does all right with it later. Yeah, it, it almost works. Oh, well, yeah, he, later when he's not throwing it, when he just kind of hacks Duncan's <laughs> fingers off, it does pretty good. Um, so during this kind of uh, mess, we find out that Corvide and the hyena are both out of action, which obviously is again they're they're running out of options here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As we sort of said, it's adding to that like pile of. Or no, it's digging further into the hole is probably a better a better a metaphor, mm-hmm. uh, for of this situation they're in. I, I I also just wanted to call out one line, uh, related to that. It's actually a bit earlier, but um, yeah. Uh, Rose is sort of commentating on what's happening outside outside because Blake can't see, 
And uh, so he gets this report. Uh, Corvette is down, Rose commented, sounding very calm. Wait, never mind. He's back up. <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> Who knows what, so he, what's going on? Yeah, He's so creepy. And wait, that's just so other. Like, it's yeah. so inhuman uh, This that he's just like, he's down. And it's like, oh, no, wait, no, he's back. Uh, I, I just love how even off screen, uh, so to speak, he's creepy as hell. Um, so at this point, Conquest kind of enters the fray, right? There's a bit of a scuffle with Duncan, and then Conquest starts shooting at Blake, uh, and, and really gets closer and closer to finishing off Blake, getting into the house, starting to really tear some shit up, um, until they decide to release June. Yeah, so you've just totally skipped over the bit where Blake basically <laughs> chops off Duncan's hand, or, yeah, or at or, least yeah, has at a least, good dig at that. Yeah, um, gets, gets partway there. Uh, like, as I already sort of said, I think this is the chapter that's defined by Blake kind of snapping. Yeah. Uh, and and this is the first, like, on, on their counter of, how, of, like, marks that Blake might have snapped, this is the first. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll just keep enough. that counter running throughout the <laughs> yeah. chapter. But I think okay. I think the fact that he's now just willing to hatchet people's wrists is, is uh, you know, evidence one. Okay, fair. We'll, we'll see how far we get on that counter. Um, I want to call out a quote from when Conquest is shooting at Blake, uh, where Blake is thinking about these these big musket bullets coming towards him. And he thinks, it was like being the kid in the classroom, homework unfinished, praying the teacher wouldn't pick you to answer the question. That was the closest comparison I could make. Tying it to reality, except being picked was being hit by the bullet. And you knew the fucking teacher had it in for you. I don't know what it is about this analogy, but I love it so much. It's like, obviously, I don't, I don't know about you, Elliot, but I've never been in a situation where I'm being hunted by an incarnation of a, you know, like a primal force or one of the four horsemen, basically. Um, yeah, me either. But this is such a relatable feeling of like, you just know that there's this cosmic force that's out to get you and you're going to be backed into this corner of your own design. And there's basically just nothing that you can do about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like this analogy because, uh, like, as Blake sort of says before this, Conquest's aura is, like, designed to make you feel like the prey and he's the yeah, hunter. Yeah, Like, it, it's sort of instinctively making Blake feel that way and, and try and run and dodge. And I think, like, the, the idea of a school kid uh, with unfinished homework is sort of a perfect analogy for how like small yeah. and vulnerable uh, yeah. he feels he's basically trying to cower in the corner of the, of the perception of conquest to hope that he doesn't get picked by the bullet yeah. um yeah it's grim uh but they have one last resource they can use here or one of their final resources which is june uh released dispersed and uh used up gone ah <sighs> by june yeah um, well, yeah, actually, I want to touch on this because this is pretty sad, right? Like, June was obviously Blake's entry point into this world, the first other that, that Blake and Rose made a, made a deal with. Um, and it, it clearly, we've kind of touched on this over the past few chapters, how June was a symbol of Blake's, you know, his, his kind of unending humanity, really, right? Mm. Like, he humanized June, which was something that we remarked on a lot, and we've remarked on that kind of getting completely lost. And this is the part where it is all gone. Blake has one last yep. thought of by June, which, you know, is nice. He he still sees a bit of a connection to her, but then she's used up and gone. And and I can't think anything but this doesn't bode well. No, in fact, this is you've basically just summarized why this is mark number two on my Blake has snapped counter. Yeah. Uh because yeah, I think I think we've touched on June being a bit of a metaphor for Blake's humanity 
in the last few chapters and he's used her all up and there's yeah. no more June left. And if, if that metaphor is even remotely true, then oh dear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so June's dying power is to create a little snowstorm inside this house and, and this gives Blake enough cover to, to get out. Um, as he's heading out, he bumps into one of the Baham kids and basically says, look, go help Duncan. He's bleeding. He might die from when I chopped, when I tried to chop off his hand. Uh, go help Duncan. I promise I won't kill Led if I can help it, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and so one thing I, I want to quickly bring up before he goes out, Rose is sort of like, well, we have one other thing we can do. Yep. Uh, and Blake knows what she's talking about. And he says, okay. Uh, go ahead, just do it clean and fast as you can. Yeah. And uh, I would like to ring the bell. This is number three on the counter of Blake has snapped because we are doing what was very recently completely unthinkable and just letting pose at people. Yeah. Um, in a way that leaves a lot of room for fast over clean. Yeah. I uh, mean, so the- it's not just using him. It's <laughs> it's using him in not an ideal way. Like this is. Blake has become that corner diabolist in this moment, I, I think. Yeah, and it, definitely. And it's barely, it's barely addressed by the text. It's really like he just does it and he just keeps moving. Like, uh, uh, yeah, like it's, uh, it, it's subtle, but like this is a really big moment. Well, we're inside his head, right? So we, we don't get to see other people see him descend. We just see him kind of play into his own, his own slippery slope, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he doesn't even really have time to consider it that much. He's just like, oh shit, fine. Yeah, I guess um, we have to. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's that's ex- this is exactly what Black Lamb's Bud was talking about. Yeah. Um, another note we get here is confirmation that the hyena has died. We're out of options. <laughs> Run out of resources yeah. again. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really tried to feel bad for the hyena, but I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the I- hyena is not a character that we're meant to <laughs> empathize with. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I was like, oh, I, that sucks because Blake could have used it more. Yeah, that was literally my only thought as to why this was bad. Yeah, uh, I I want to get back to the Baham teenager that the uh, Blake ran into as well because you you sort of mentioned it, but he uh quote uh, this is this is a quote from Blake. I promise not to hurt your uncle Laird too badly. I won't kill him if I can help it, but Duncan may well die without help. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm very interested to see how this reconciles with how the chapter ends because, uh, I don't know, shoving shoving stuff into people's neck would count as uh, hurting people fairly badly in my book. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. I'm I'm a little worried. Well, Blake does say if I can help it, so that's well, no, he his, says uh... he says he says if I can help it for the killing. Uh, that's true. I promise I won't hurt your uncle Laird too badly. You're right. Uh, yeah, so I'll be interested to see how this carries forward into the next chapter. Yeah. Um, so Blake is outside and he sees Laird, who, who is kind of struggling to fend off dolls that seemingly have been attacked by the hyena and distorted into just kind of going wild. Yeah, well, there are some that are going wild and then there are others that are attacking Laird and I assume that was Corviday, uh, before he buggered off. Yep. Yeah. Um... Now, unfortunately, Blake doesn't get a chance to capitalize this because Conquest appears and it's pretty obvious that it's ending now. Um, yeah, I mean, right from the get-go, the way this emergence from the garage is written, there's this sense of this is it, like, this is going to be a big confrontation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to pull out this quote, which, you know, we haven't seen Conquest really in a while, but I, I, this quote to me is so, it just sums up why he's so perfect in this role 
which is, Blake asks, We're not fighting? I asked. Fighting implies a kind of equality, doesn't it? He asked. One person fighting, the other fighting back. I'm not so fond of level playing fields. I nodded slowly. I had a very bad feeling. <laughs> I Obviously, it's a, tr- a, a pretty well-known trope that there's the villain who doesn't just kill the hero when he gets a chance, right? Um, but I love that Conquest, his, basically his whole thing is he doesn't want to kill Blake, right? He does want Blake to die, but he wants to conquer Blake first. And it's such a perfect way of getting to experience this trope that generally makes it more fun when you get to have a kind of slow escalating demise. But it, it's... It's a way for the trope to completely make sense in-universe. Of course, Congress doesn't want to just kill Blake. Like, there's no way he would just kill him at the first opportunity. It- it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's classic Pact. Uh, absolutely. Like, And I would say that I, I love this relentlessness to defeat Blake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I did at this point in the story, or at this point in the chapter. Um, yeah. But then we've got to talk about what happens next. So, Conquest is going to break Blake. And the way he does this is he has found two shadows. Imprints of Blake's worst memories that approach Blake. And he is conquered by his past. Yeah. So, the the first time this happened, it took me a second to process what was happening. Because the two Blakes came out. And I was like, oh, these are... I kind of got that they were maybe ghosts or imprints. Uh, but it wasn't until just after the first sort of replay started that I comprehended what was happening. And then I yeah. reread the bit where the two of them emerged and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I, so Blake sees in them that they are his lowest points, right? I, I he, think I think he almost immediately recognizes yeah. what the second one is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which is fucking terrible. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, look, we haven't, you know, Conquest has obviously been the villain for the past, like, four arcs or whatever, but we haven't actually, we haven't actually encountered him, right? We had that bit right after Blake got scratched up by Isadora, but that was such a brief little bit. Conquest hasn't been actively using his power, and so I think we've kind of forgotten how horrifying <laughs> Conquest is, right? <laughs> this brings back that same feeling from Arc 4, though, where Conquest is just an unstoppable force, and he's going to dominate you and you just can't there's no way to reason with that you can't talk your way out of it he just wants you to suffer i I mean yeah blake is always sort of holding on to this uh thought that conquest isn't actually as powerful as he makes out and i think that makes it easy for him and us to forget that that doesn't mean he's not powerful yeah that doesn't mean he's not completely terrifying yeah exactly um so the first memory that blake relives is a beating that he experienced while he was homeless. Yeah, and I think this whole segment, as I was sort of reading it the first time, I was like, as I said, I started to process what was happening and it was like, I was reading this and I was like, man, this is bad, but I know that this is just the warm-up, so yeah. to speak. Like, I, I was just reading yeah. this and thinking, oh God, this is horrible and it's only going to get worse. It's um, yeah, it's yeah, so powerful it to read. Um, uh, Yeah, and I think it's interesting why this one is in here because there's two bad moments, right? And obviously we know that the second one is going to be the one that's been kind of hinted at by Blake yeah. f- through the entire story. But we have this other one here and I think it's very interesting that it's here. Uh, and it's interesting to kind of think about why this is one of his worst moments. And, and, you know, Blake even says to himself, this isn't the worst beating that I've ever had. But we see this one. I th- and I think that's very interesting. 
Yes, and uh, I I really like the reasoning you've come up with just yeah. below in the notes. So I'll just pass it back to you. Yeah. Um, I, the final line in this little memory is Blake thinking, "I'd been considering going home before that." Stupidly, stubbornly, I told myself I'd wait until the cuts and bruises were gone. And I think that sums up why we're seeing this. It, it's not really explicitly confirmed beyond what what I just said, but this is to me the decision point for Blake, where he's so close to giving up on being you know, being apart from his family, being homeless. He's so close to just going home and giving up. But this experience kind of forces him to take more time away from home. He waits to heal up from the wounds because he doesn't think he can face his family like this. And and that's enough time to kind of seal him into being homeless. Like maybe he maybe he thought, oh, I can wait and then go back. But by that time, it's kind of been too long. It's kind of his, his the, the decision has been made for him. And that, that freedom and agency has been taken away from him by this incident. I think that's why it's one that weighs on him so heavily. Yeah, I've got a slightly different take on it, I'll admit, but it, mm. it's not mutually exclusive. So it's like, you know, it's kind of a, could be a both situation. But um, a, a, as you mentioned, he talks about how he was thinking of going home at the end, but he also mentions that right at the start, like the whole experience yeah. is kind of bookended by Blake wanting to sort of go and his yep. stubbornness is essentially what leads to this beating. And so it's kind of like he's being punished for his stubbornness. Yeah. Um, it is sort of how I would classify this specific beating. Um, and I like I think that's good because it ties into this whole concept of like conquest wants to stop him from being so stubborn and just yeah, break him. I like that. But it also ties into uh being mark number four on my Blake is snapping counter, uh, because Giving into conquest is not the only thing Blake is stubbornly not doing. He's mm. also not unleashing demons. Mm. And uh, so teaching him to no longer hold on to his <laughs> virtues uh, <sighs> may kind of backfire for conquest, uh, I, I, war- I wonder. Well, is that a backfire if Blake starts summoning demons? I mean, I guess it kind That's of is. That's true. I don't well, it know. Depends, it depends how pointed at conquest they end up. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, fair point. I, I think there's a lot going on here. I like the idea that Conquest has picked this one out specifically to impart a lesson to Blake, which is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also just wanted to pull out one line where he mentions that, he, like, why he thinks teenagers are just sort of beating up homeless dudes. Uh, and it's it's basically just because their brains haven't fully developed and, and um, you know, which is, like, true, but generous um but he also yeah. mentions that this is why he doesn't blame maggie as much as he probably could have uh because yeah. he spent too long trying to frame this event and i guess reconcile this event uh, which is good because that's kind of what i've been saying and so it's good to know that that is sort of what blake has been thinking uh yeah. subconsciously for a while um yeah is it, I don't is know, that... just, a, just a little bit of positivity i think within <laughs> within this is that an empathetic enough moment to take one point away from the snapping counter or not <laughs> uh, uh we'll see 0.25 yeah, of a, of yeah okay. 3.75 right. right. that's still pretty bad um so so blake kind of snaps back to reality and conquest knows that this next memory is going to be worse and and kind of mm. taunts blake as he defeats him. Um, and Blake is freaking out as this memory kind of limps towards him. And he almost is able to keep away from it until Laird catches him and basically holds him out to it to force him to face it. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so, and, and the bit, wait, so what happens, like the other Echo, the first one sort of ran at Blake and, and, yep. and tackled him almost. Yeah. Uh, 
the the writing for this one is the echo didn't rush it lipped eyes downcast just looking at it was as bad as everything else conquest had put me through and, yeah. and it's just like it, even even just from the approach of this echo like this is so powerful like yeah a, a, as i was reading this you know in my mind's eye i'm picturing this this downcast weak blake limping towards the the real blake and this is every time i step in i'm just thinking no 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 yeah uh, it's yeah it's it's very powerful this whole scene yeah i i want to touch on here how laird acts here because this to me is the most morally reprehensible thing that laird has done <laughs> right yeah. i mean yeah. laird you know obviously laird i don't think knows fully what this memory entails but it's probably pretty obvious that this is blake's lowest point um this isn't defeating blake this is torturing blake uh laird says to blake before he falls into the memory laird says this is for the best which is incredible i i honestly don't know how laird could say that and i think the only explanation is that laird saying this to blake is actually him trying to kind of reassure himself that this is the right move because there's no way that Laird can look at this and be like, yes, this is an okay thing to do. I am doing good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I can't really add anything to that because, like, you're right. I don't think there's much room for discussion here. Uh, if this is w- what the best looks like, then, like, fuck. Um, yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's grim. <laughs> it's grim. Um, so Blake falls into this memory and there is one man who approaches Blake and immediately Blake freaks out um and and evan is also freaking out evan was also in the previous memory but kind of realized that he couldn't do anything uh Mm. but evan does not is not happy to take that approach here um he he kind of is freaking out and and trying to get blake through it but blake almost immediately just has to resign himself to this he he kind of shuts down and and can't can't even try and think of a way out of it he just kind of accepts that this is happening yeah, which was just like, ah, oh, yeah, just, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't really have words to convey. Like, yeah, as it's pretty rough, this, isn't it? It's just, it's just like, oh. But Evan doesn't give up. Evan keeps pushing and, and kind of through a combination of his personality and kind of his natural inclination for escape, he he helps Blake avoid the worst parts of this memory. He he is able to help Blake realize that he can kind of fast forward this memory. Um, And so he jumped forward uh, to the aftermath where Blake is kind of broken uh and alexis is here to comfort him um and and yeah it we kind of skip over the worst part i suppose so yeah thank thank fuck forever yeah, thank fuck forever <laughs> i think is the, is the sentiment here i mean this chapter is obviously already very emotionally intense and it does feel like everything is just i don't know i without this situation it's hard not to see blake would have just completely broken um and yeah. he doesn't you know he's he he's clearly not in a good place after this i can't imagine how much worse it could have been yeah but so one thing i do want to sort of quickly touch on is how how fantastic a job wabo did writing around this yeah uh like like I'll, i can think of a few other stories in particular that would have almost felt the need to show us what happened to blake I mean, to really make it land, Game, Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's the obvious example. Was one, um, but I think Wildbow already hit me about as hard as this humanly possible. Yeah. 
with all this and like so by that point just actually showing it would have been gratuitous and i think that's actually really good writing to convey as many emotions as i could possibly need or am even capable of feeling towards this without even having to show it like uh yeah the, the lead up the writing around it like we're all just primed to get to the place Wildbone needs us to be without him actually having to go into any details which i think is uh like really impressive yeah and i think it would have hindered the emotional impact of this if we got into all of the you know the nitty-gritty of of this situation um yeah like seeing blake get raped would not have made this a more impactful emotional experience it it would have kind of taken away from it right i I think this is brilliantly done because it gives us it shows us like breaking but it also shows us his relationship to evan and it shows us you know it it takes us to blake's worst moment in a way that gives us that obviously kind of is very emotionally intense but also gives us this like way to kind of keep going and and move forward and and improve and you know i i think that's powerful yeah no i i I completely agree um yeah it's 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 very well done um like obviously it's 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 so powerful yeah Yeah. um so uh blake well i'm just going to read out the final few lines here uh i stirred but this time i didn't gasp laird had backed off a little silently quickly i grabbed the splinter of wood i'd been given to find the eraser demon I stabbed it into Laird's neck. Um, so Ooh. yeah, this ending is pretty wild. Uh, obviously Blake is kind of dealing a serious blow to Laird here, but the thing I want to touch on is this is so cold. It's so detached. Like Blake isn't thinking. He's basically just narrating what is happening. And you, I, I really got mm. the vibe of us as the audience and Blake just kind of looking at him while he does this horrifyingly violent thing to Laird. Um, yeah, yeah you're right i i think his emotional reaction to what he's just been through is kind of so severe that he's almost having a kind of out of body experience yeah. just watching his body naturally react to the guy who grabbed him and forced him through this um, yeah it, it definitely yeah it gives me vibes of of having you know detachment having that kind of yeah. pretty common thing for people who are going through trauma or reliving trauma where they where they detach themselves from their from their mind and from their body um yeah, that's the vibe that I definitely get here, which is not a great sign for the next chapter. It means that Blake is not in a good place. No, uh, uh, you wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, wait, yeah, this is the fifth and, and final uh, mark on my Blake has snapped counter. I mean, obviously, this is, I think, the point where he has finally yeah. snapped. Like, it's so immediate. It's so <sighs> brutal. It's just, like, I think he, I think, I think Blake is sort of gone. At, at this point and i mean yep. you know like i'm not saying that in any sort of permanent sense but just for right now like i yeah i i think the 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 nice blake uh is that we know is is not going to be around for a little bit <sighs> well that's the end of the chapter um a great <sighs> uh great exciting hopeful upbeat place to end <laughs> i mean he did it he, he's he's gotten one over on laird right yay <laughs> Yeah, Woo. not long after he promised to not hurt Laird too badly. Like, we, we still have to come back to that. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. We'll see how how that gets resolved. I suppose. Um, now, yeah. before we before we wrap up, though, you had something here that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So for our bonus bit, um, I was going to bring a prediction, and it kind of ballooned out as I researched it more, and so it's become its own sort of bonus bit. 
uh, I, I guess. And so I, I'm just going to drop a theory here that Maggie, as we've seen since she joined us in 6.7, is not Maggie, but mostly Padriac. Um, mm. I want to say maybe like with, with genuine bits of Maggie involved, like this might be more than just glamour. Like you could actually have some of Maggie's essence in him. I don't know. But I think that this is mostly Padraic that we've been dealing with. That's such a wild prediction. I love it. I, <laughs> I, I really want to hear where the, what the thing that made you think that is. Um, yeah. I've written it down now in the prediction tracking. I, I'm So I'm very eager. Um, let's hear it. Okay. So... I'm just going to go to go through all the evidence I found since 6.7 in chronological order. Um, the two things sure. I really want to hit at, at the start that have sort of been general trends is obviously Maggie's been sort of categorized as extra reckless for all this. And, and I'd, I've mostly chalked that up to her excitement for her fire and blood business uh, so far. But it also tracks with sort of if our fairy boredom stuff that we've heard about, like, you know, how they, they just they hate boredom and they're always looking for stuff to do. Um and then obviously it's been a recurring theme that Maggie seems to have access to fairy stuff that she maybe shouldn't really, even mm. with Padriac in the picture. Um, mm. Like her ability to heal Blake was actually quite impressive. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's always true. just now occurring to me that if this theory is right, Padriac may have just been glamouring him a bit, which is like <laughs> terrible. Um, but anyway, uh, so, one, so one thing I want to run around, obviously when Maggie, slash, yeah, when Maggie first shows up, uh, Blake asks her, are you compelled or otherwise enchanted? And uh, she responds, no and yes. I'm dressed up in my finery, so to speak. And so I'm thinking that that's sort of where part of the idea for this glamour comes mm. from, um, like the, some sort of glamour. So um, pa- Patrick is what, glamoured up to, to look like Maggie? Yes. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know if it's like he's actually got essences of Maggie or if he's just so well glamoured up that he kind of is both Maggie and himself. Because there's a lot of lines here where he does say, like, I'm Maggie, and I don't think he'd be allowed to do that unless, like, you know, it's, it's some heavy glamouring. So, so I, I, don't, I, don't have a f- I don't have a full explanation for why, but, like, that's, that's just part of the theory is you'll have to accept that there's some reason for that. Sure. Uh, th- so the next quote you want to pull out, I, I think, is one that I'm interested to hear how you reconcile, which is, he says, but Maggie Holt doesn't have a history of doing things halfway, which is fine, that would work either way. Um, you asked for me, you got me, and you got someone who knows their way around this sort of thing. Dealing with the ugly things, tell me more about them. So the part that I want to pull out here is, you asked for me, you got me. Yeah, so that that's part of where this whole idea of it's both Maggie and Padriac comes mm. into it. Because it's kind of like, you asked for me, Maggie, you got me, Padriac <laughs> slash Maggie, uh, and, and you got someone who knows their way. Like, oh, uh, I, I think all I've written under this is, this line is very fun if I'm right, which yeah. is... Not really evidence, but um, it could be cool. Uh, so there's also um, oh, I forgot to pull it out. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff where Maggie talks about how she's seen stuff that. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, yes, believe me, I've seen stuff that makes this seem pretty tame. Maggie said, uh, "This gives me a chance to explore. It's great." And she talks about how basically she's been through stuff that is a lot worse than what we're seeing in Conquest stuff right now. And yeah. I think we chalk this up to her being overly confident uh, in that regard mm. um, about how bad her demon stuff was. But if, yeah. if this is Padraic and he's, you know, however many hundreds or thousands of years old, it's quite likely true. Mm. Um, there's also a bit where uh, Maggie says, my parents and I don't see, <laughs> don't always see eye to eye when it comes to what I'm doing here. It's been worse since the change of location coming to Jacob's Bell. And obviously we know Padraic was uh, exiled 
Mm. So I, lo- I love the concept that this is Padraig having fun uh, and, like, he's talking about how his parents don't really like him since he got banished, which seems reasonable, mm. I think. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll allow it. Um, so there was also, and, and I sort of called this out as being a bit weird uh, when it happened, but when Maggie went into the spirit world in, I think it was 6.9, uh, she had, like, pointed ears and pointed fingernails, and I think it said it made... It felt a bit fairy or, mm. or elvish to me, mm. so I'm I'm putting that down as a bit of evidence. Um, I think that's probably the most compelling piece of evidence out of this to me. <laughs> um, and then there's a bit where when when they first capture Laird, um, Maggie says when Maggie impresses Laird with her knowledge of like the rules of hospitality, Maggie says, "I have a lot of free time, and I've become a bit of a student of history." Mm. Uh, which I, I don't think Maggie would have that much free time. I actually really like this. Is like wait. Padrick is kind of defined by the fact that he's exiled and probably has a lot of free time mm. or has had a lot of free time. Mm. Okay. Um, there's a bit where Maggie swore in 7.1 as well. Uh, you're a bit of a bastard is something Maggie says, which considering she's not even allowed to say words that seem tamer than that uh, is is a bit strange. So I'm wondering mm. if that's a bit of a slip up mm. uh, by, by Padrick. Um, one of the bits that sort of first clued me into this as an idea is um, this is sort of sat a bit wrong with me, but uh, since since we encountered it, Isadora refers to Maggie as stranger the first time. In mm. fact, the only other time she refers to Maggie, it's it's italicized. Like it's like Maggie here, uh, <laughs> which, which I think is Isadora sort of letting in that. I think Isadora knew that something was wrong because she never she never refers to Maggie directly as Maggie and and is like kind of drawing attention to the name as she says it. Yeah. Um, okay. Again, that's one that's one that could work if she was just possessed. Um, technically. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then yeah. the last one is the 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 line we called out last episode where uh, Maggie said, "If I wanted to do work, I'd be doing something different with my life," which I called out as a very bizarre thing. But uh, it could wait if Patrick. I, I assume he's like trying to take over the fairy kingdom and presumably be a king, and that's maybe something he associates with not doing work. Like that makes more sense to me than any interpretation I've come up that applies to Maggie. Sure. Uh, so so that's one of the ones that I really like. Okay, look, there's some interesting stuff in here. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I, obviously, I can't comment on this. No, no, of course. I mean, that was that was probably absurdly thorough, but that's that's everything I could that's everything I could find. I um, gotta say, I really like it as a theory. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we'll see how we go. I mean, obviously, like there was all the stuff in this chapter about uh, Maggie having an inhuman expression under her. Uh, uh, under her face when she got hit and and Blake thinking uh, associating it a bit with glamour so yeah uh that was sort of what tipped me into this realm and then the more I looked into it the more convinced I became so yeah all right we'll we'll see yeah uh but we'll yeah. see I suppose yeah all right well I guess that's uh that I've written it down in the prediction tracking and uh, hopefully <laughs> by the time we end the story we have confirmation on it <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I guess that's it for our for our episode uh, for this chapter. Um, this is a wild one, right? Like, I, I just, I want to talk about 7.7 now. I want to go off and read it, and I want to do our episode about it. Um, I'm immediately going to go read it after this. Yeah, um, awesome. Uh, so, thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you have uh, thoughts on, you know, on, 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 on this chapter, on things that happened here, on Break Blaking, or on Elliot's... <laughs> Uh, what was it? Maggie equals Patrick theory. Um, <laughs> leave those in our discussion thread down below. They'll be linked in the uh, in the episode notes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great place to chat about the show. 
Uh, yes, and if you want to find out more about uh, the rest of the shows on the Doof Network, because there's a bunch of great ones, you can head to doofmedia.com. Yep. If you want to find out more about our shows, uh, you can head to our Twitter, which is at MediaMTPodcast. Uh, yeah, about three days ago when this episode's out, uh, we have just launched another episode of MediaMD uh, on Galaxy Quest. Mm. Uh, a fun fun little sci-fi movie that I made yes. Ruben watch. So you can hear our discussion about that uh, over there. Yeah, that was a pretty fun discussion, I think. Um, so yeah, go and check that out. Uh, you can find that also on our website, which is MediaMTPodcast.com. Uh, now, of course, on the Doof Media Network, you will find Deep Impact and a bunch of other great shows, including uh, We've Got Ward, The Doofcast, all these great shows that are completely uh, backed and supported by the Doof patrons. Um, if you want to become a Patreon, uh, if you want to become a patron, sorry, of the Doof Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash doofmedia. And of course, Wildbo is a patron funded uh, author as well. So patreon.com slash Wildbo if you have any extra money that you can spare. Yeah, Patreon is the, uh, the way to finance creativity of the future. So vote with your wallet, support the creators that you love, uh, which hopefully includes us if you're listening to this show after <laughs> how many episodes we've done. Uh, but definitely should include Wildbo. So go and check out his Patreon as well. Um, that's us for this episode. I guess we're off to read 7.7, and our episode yes. talking about it will come out on Monday the 17th of June. Uh, so we'll see you all then. See ya. Bye.